0: Right across this room, just close your eyes. From the front to the back, side to the side, right to the sound desk and around, right across the stage. Lord, we lift our eyes to you this morning, to Jesus. Father, we thank you that the heavens are open over this place and that your presence is with us, that you are the God who is With us, Emmanuel. Father, would you open our hearts this morning to hear your word? In fact, why don't you just put your hands on these and say, Lord, say it after me, Lord. My heart is open to hear your word. Plant a seed in me today that will grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Welcome this morning to church. <clears throat> um, it's, it's Gail, isn't it, the new lady? Gail, Gail, go just stand for a minute. Just, just, just close your eyes to the Lord. I felt as we were worshiping just then, I saw you sort of, you were, you were down on your knees and you were like crying and you were praying to the Lord. I saw you and the Lord said, she's like Mary. You know, there was Martha and there was Mary. There was Martha that did all the work and was always busy and there was Mary who just sat at the feet of Jesus. And I saw you sitting at the feet of Jesus and I saw you interceding for your family and interceding for things, even impossible situations that you think, will they ever come to pass, Lord? Will they ever come to pass? And then I saw your tears falling on His feet and then I saw the tears going up to heaven and I saw them filling a bowl in heaven. with with your tears and with your prayers about your family, about those that you're concerned about in your world. And then I felt the Lord say this, there will be a time when I'm going to pour out that bowl. And when I pour out that bowl, your tears, your prayers, none of them have been wasted. They're coming back down and they will accomplish that which they were set out to do and I see eyes opening, I see light coming to people in your world, I see where there was darkness, I see it being expelled. And the Lord says, continue to pray. Because as you continue to pray, you've got to know that, that the prayers of the saints are powerful. And your prayers, particularly God says, I hear them and there is a day coming while I will begin to answer them and you you will be in amaze, amazement at what God does, amen, amen, hallelujah. Where's Tom? Has Tom gone out? Oh, Tom, Tom, just stand here for a sec. Just hold your hands to the Lord. You know, there was a scripture in the the Word of God where it says that there was a woman who was bent over uh, by a spirit, she was bent over, and they they brought her to Jesus and he healed her, and I just, I just, this morning, I want you to say to you in the name of Jesus Christ that this is not a season for you to be bent over any longer. For the Lord is the lifter of your chin and the Lord is the lifter of your chest and where you've been bent over in the past, like oppressed and come under darkness and it has controlled your life. In the name of Jesus right now, I declare that God is lifting your chin, that He is lifting your chest and He's taking the weight from your shoulders. And there's a supernatural transaction happening right now in your very physical body, in your spirit and in your soul. And the Lord says this, I am straightening you up, son. And where you have been underneath and others have been over, I'm making you the head and not the tail. And I'm giving you a voice that will shock many. When you speak, things will change. I'm giving you authority. The enemy has tried to tell you that you have no authority, that you're weak, that you're under, that you're below, that you're not as good as other people, but the Lord is the lifter of your chin and he's the lifter of your chest. And today, there is a supernatural transaction that takes you into another realm and the Lord says, stand up. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up, lift up your head. For the Lord will fill you in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, fill him now. Fill him now. Come on, reach your hand towards him. Fill him, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. Fill him, Lord. Fill him, Lord. Lord. We thank you, Lord, for a supernatural transaction of your spirit, from spirit to spirit. And I thank you, Lord, that today he would mark it in his calendar of the day when the Lord changed his countenance. In Jesus name. In Jesus. Name. I can't reach your hands towards him. Jesus name. Jesus name. Jesus name. In the name of Jesus. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh you heard that kiss. Thanks, Rach. <coughs> Your eyes for a minute. Do you feel his presence right now? You know, so often we can come to church, we can sing the songs, but we just breathe him in. Just breathe him in right now. It's so important that we take time, isn't it? Sometimes we just got to stop. There's so much noise. our world is full of noise, isn't it? I mean, it's just full of noise. It's full of... We're always thinking, watching, looking, looking at screens, looking at screens, talking, action around us. And the Lord says, be still and know that I am God. This, we need to cultivate stillness. We need to cultivate silence. We need to cultivate a space where I can find me and I can find him and I can find us together in the center of my life. Amen? Hallelujah. You're all quiet today. What's going on? You're making me nervous. Yeah, we just asked you to be silent. Yeah, okay. Okay, silence is over, everybody. You're not in a Catholic church. Woo-hoo, yay. Oh, it's good. <clears throat> I preached a message uh, recently from the book of Revelation chapter one. And I had some great insights in that from a great prophetic teacher named Mike Bickle. If you've never heard of him, he's an incredible prophetic teacher. And I think that he has some cutting edge stuff right now about what God is doing and what God is saying to his church. And so he's amazing. So everybody needs someone to speak into their lives. Is that right? You know, Pastor Phil and I, as we go on and in, in, we get, you know, Older and, you know, they say you get older, you get wiser, but to get wiser, you've got to download from other spaces, people that are further down the track from you and just really honour those gifts and say, Lord, I need feeling, I need teaching, I need to grow in my capacity of you. Constantly, we should be growing, we should be changing in Jesus' name. And so he's helping me do that at the moment. And I preached this message called Transformation Through Revelation a few weeks ago. I would encourage you to listen to that podcast uh, because I think it was a revolutionary message and I think it was a prophetic message for this church and for us as a church across the globe. I highlighted that the book of Revelation was the revelation of Jesus. And we, we look at the book of Revelation. As soon as I say revelation, you know, you all kind of go, oh, you know. She's going to talk creepy stuff and it's going to be weird and, and all that. But the purpose of the book of Revelation was to reveal Jesus. It, it is actually called the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus. So what God wanted to do through that was he wanted to reveal Jesus. He wanted Jesus to come and reveal himself as he is now, not as he was. As the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the mighty God. He wanted to reveal himself as the one who is returning to bring order. He is the Lord. He's the one with the white hair. He's the one with the blazing eyes. He's the king. He is enthroned. He is risen from the dead, seated at the right hand of Father, and he is the Lord. Amen? And this is what he wanted to bring through the book of Revelations. It's a book about the revelation of a man. And it's a book about the revelation of him bringing things into order. Even though it has all these analogies and all these weird and wonderful, you know, uh, pictures, but the thread of it through is the victory of Jesus Christ and him coming to the earth to fulfill that victory. Amen. I think the the, the main message God's trying to bring to us is that in the days that we live in. The greatest need that we have right now is to know him more. You know, we can get all kinds of knowledge and all kinds of wisdom, but if we just get back to that basics, if I just know Jesus more, if, if Jesus is in me and I know him more in me, then he's going to lead me and he's going to guide me and he's going to show me everything that will happen in these days that I live in. In the first three chapters he reveals 33 aspects of himself that are there for us to discover and you might want to read through those first three chapters and go okay what's the 33 aspects or the 33 uh, personality traits or you know character traits of Jesus that are in the first three books of Revelation it's fascinating but in chapter 1 he's, he reveals himself to John John's on the isle of Patmos he's in prison And Jesus comes to him and reveals himself to John. At first, John doesn't even know it's Jesus. He just sees this glorious man with white hair and blazing eyes and feet like bronze. I mean, he just describes him, and and he's just awesome. And after he reveals himself, he goes on then, and he goes on to highlight seven churches, And he points out to John the strengths and the weaknesses of these seven churches to encourage them to be overcomers and to be victorious. These exhortations to the churches were relevant in the day that they were written in, but they carry a really strong prophetic message for the day that we live in as well. And as we download these messages that Jesus gave to the church in the book of Revelations, the seven churches, we can see that there are seven things in these seven churches that he pulls out that they're doing right, and there's seven things that he pulls out that they're actually doing wrong. And if we can look at those things and we say, okay, well, we want to get those things right, and we don't want to do those things wrong, and it's going to help us in the day that we live in. And when we talk about the church, we talk about the body, don't we? We don't talk about buildings, steeples. We talk about the church. You are the church, you're the body of Christ, you're the church. When we speak the church, we say, we're talking about you, amen, and we're talking about us together. But this morning, I'd like to highlight a message that I believe, again, has a prophetic message to our church and to the church in general, and it's called, Set Your Heart on Love. Father, I thank you right now for your word, the word of today, God. And I thank you that you would teach us, God, through your word. Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. So he says, to the church in Ephesus, to the angel, this is Jesus speaking now, to the angel, and we talked about last week, the angel of the church is the primary apostolic leader. So he's speaking to the primary apostolic leader of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. So he starts off by telling them what they're doing right. See? I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have, not, and have endured hardships for my name, is what Gilly was talking about this morning. Poor old Jill's been through the war. She's got sick kids. She's had an allergic reaction in her eye to, to some stuff she was using in the garden. I mean, it's just been full on, hasn't it, darling? Oh, my gosh. And, and uh, anyway, you've persevered and endured hardships, my name, and have not grown weary. In fact, Jesus is saying here, in not growing weary, he's saying, you haven't quit. And we have to know here when he's saying this, that this church by now is 40 years old. So the the church at Ephesus is now 40 years old. So they've been doing the stuff for 40 years. And he's saying, look, look at all the stuff you're doing and you haven't quit, you haven't given up. And then he says, yet I hold this against you. So he's only got one thing that he wants to say that they're doing wrong. He said all these things that they're doing right, these guys are amazing. But he says, yet I hold this against you you have forsaken the love you had at first. now, I want you to know here that he 's not talking about love for people, right because the church at Ephesus were very well known for their love. they were very known for their, well known for their works. they had transformed the lives of literally thousands of people, and I 'll talk to you in a minute about the impact that they had but he 's saying You've lost your love that you had at first. You've lost your passionate, intimate love for me. You're 40 years into doing this church, and everything you're doing is amazing, and you're incredible, and you're affecting the community around you. You're doing all the stuff. But I have this against you, that you've lost your intimate, passionate love for me. And then he says this in verse five Remember how far you have fallen, repent and do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, he's saying, If you don't get this right, I'm going to have to remove your influence. I'm going to have to remove the influence that you have in the whole of Asia Minor. I'm going to have to remove that influence because I really don't want everybody thinking that this is the way that you do it. You do all works, you do all good stuff, you do stuff in the community, but the primary thing I wanted you to have was your love for me. That's the primary thing I wanted you to give away. That's how we birthed this church. That's how we started this church at Ephesus. This is what he's saying. We started it this way. We started it with a passionate love for me. Now, You've done everything right. You're doing incredible things, but I'll remove your influence if you don't turn back to that love for me, because that's the thing I want to give away more than all the good works that you're doing, in Jesus' name. And then he says, you have this in your favor, so he tells them something else they're doing right, which is kind of cool. Do you know when Jesus comes to us and tells us something we're doing wrong, he usually tells us we're doing something right, something wrong, something right, like, I mean, just... He just, he just wraps up what we're doing wrong and what we're doing right, doesn't he, Ellie? He never comes and just goes, Ni, nini, nini. no, 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 He always comes and goes, you're amazing. You're doing incredible things for me. You know, just this one little thing we need to talk about. But then you're doing amazing things for me in another area. You know what I mean? He just loves to do that. And so he's saying, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, the Nic- Nicolaitans, sorry. Um, who I also hate. So he's talking about, he doesn't hate a people, God, but he hates their practices. And the Nicolaitans, sort of when anything goes, They they, they were kind of like grace covers everything. So I can be in sexual immorality, I can get drunk on Saturday night, I can do anything I want to do, and I've just got to say sorry, and grace is going to cover it. That was what their practices were. And then he says in verse seven, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I said last time, that's the most repeated exhortation in the Bible, in the whole Bible, that is repeated 17 times. For him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He says it 17 times. It's an exhortation. It's not a suggestion. An exhortation is not a suggestion. It's actually a command. For him who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And then he says, To the one who is victorious or to the one who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Can I just have my water, please, Phil? There. Thanks. Now I want to go into some background here so you totally understand where I'm coming from. Thank you. Okay, because oftentimes we read... Thanks so much, Gary. Isn't he lovely? Filling in. <clears throat> oftentimes when we read Scripture, we just take that Scripture and we just, you know, we don't see the context of what that came in and what is he talking about. and what Who was this church in Ephesus and why is he saying these things to them? And because it relates to us. It relates back, doesn't it, Ev? Okay, so... Ephesus was the largest city in Asia Minor. So think about New York City in America, large city. It was the center for business and commerce in the whole of Asia. So this was a major city, majorly influential city. And it was also the center of Asia Minor for all idol worship. People would come from everywhere to engage in idol worship, which involved immorality at its highest level. The type of idol worship they did, it combined sexual immorality and idol worship together. So everywhere in Ephesus, there was you know, idol worship places, there was idols set up, there was sexual immorality going on publicly. It was the most disgraceful, disgusting sight. It was like Sodom and Gomorrah. In that day, it was really bad. But, and it had commerce, it had money, it had business people, it had all that stuff going on as well. Paul went there and established the church of Ephesus in his third missionary journey. So in 53 AD, so he's talking about 53 years after Jesus died, Paul goes there to establish this church. And the interesting thing was that he stayed there three years. I mean, Paul, as we know, was an apostle. He would go and establish a church. He would raise up a leader to to look after that church. Then he would go and establish another church. But it's interesting, he would stay, you know, like five months. He would stay 15 months, maybe, at the longest. But at this church, he actually stayed three years. Because in his own words, unusual manifestations of God's power were breaking out. I mean, Paul would walk through the streets and pieces of his garment or his shadow or people would get pieces of handkerchiefs and he would touch them and then people would get miracles. I'm not talking like healings, I'm talking miracles. Miracles like dead raised. Miracles are like, you know, limbs growing, you know, bits that weren't there appearing. You know, these were miracles. In fact, it was the city... That hosted the greatest revival in the book of Acts in terms of impacting people. So, when we look at it in this context, Jesus' words in Revelation 2 were to a famous revival church that had led multitudes to the Lord throughout all of Asia and was now in its 40th year. So, his words were like piercing the context of them. This was the mightiest church in the world at that time. Acts 19.10 says, All who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord from Ephesus. So imagine, can you imagine that? Can you imagine a revival in one church that actually affected the whole of Asia? Imagine that. Imagine if our church right now had such a reputation that it actually affected the whole of Australia. And then the word of God says this, it says that he worked unusual miracles through the hands of Paul and it was so powerful and this city was so disrupted that multitudes bought their cult books and their idol worship instruction books and they had a great bonfire. They toted up the books that these brand new believers. So these are brand new believers. They've, they're hearing the gospel, they're getting saved, and immediately they're going, "I want to get rid of everything that is not of God," and they bought they bought all their books, all their magic, occult practice stuff, everything of their idol worship. They brought it into the city center, and they had this massive bonfire, and the the, the they say that. Um, and amounted to, the stuff that they burnt amounted to 50,000 drachmas or 50,000 pieces of silver, which is equivalent in our day to about $5 million. So imagine right now, if, 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 if just say us as a church, that God used us in a miraculous way, in a powerful revival, that it touched all the regions around us and all of a sudden, people were coming, and they were just dumping all their paraphernalia on our land, and we had a big bonfire, and it was worth $5 million, $5 million in our day. That's, that's pretty significant. So when Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus, you've got to understand the impact this church had, how amazing they are, and how their lampstand or their influence was massive right across um, Asia. And now we're 40 years into it. After three years, I have to tell you this. It says in verse 20, it said, The the word of the Lord grew mighty and the word of the Lord prevailed. The word prevailed means conquered. It means that the word of the Lord conquered almost all of Asia. That's the kind of stuff we need to see now, don't we? We need to see that. We need, we need to be a part of that. And Jesus is saying here, the key to that, don't lose your first love. Don't lose your first... The key to that is being so passionately in love with Jesus That everything just flows out of you so naturally. I'm sure Paul, when he just walked around, it was because he had had an encounter with Jesus, had the scales removed from his eyes, he had seen Jesus, and Jesus had revealed to him, and he had a life-changing experience. And that life-changing experience not just lasted for a week, a couple of weeks, and then it died out, but that lasted for his whole life. Until the day when he said, I've finished, I've run my race, I'm finished, it's time to go home. Like he was impassionate for Jesus his whole life. And that's the kind of thing that he's speaking about here. After three years of, of, of leading this church at Ephesus, Paul leaves and he appoints Timothy as the primary apostolic leader. I'm going somewhere here. About 10 years later, John moved to Ephesus with Mary, Jesus' mother, and John became the primary apostolic leader of the church of Ephesus around 65 AD. We don't know how long he stayed there because he traveled a lot, but 25 years later, now John is in prison. Now it brings us up to date. John is in prison. He's on the Isle of Patmos, and the first church that Jesus highlights after after he's brought the revelation of who he is, John realizes who he is, that it's Jesus, and then he says, I need to talk to you about these seven churches, and the first church Jesus highlights is the church of Ephesus, where John had been the pastor for some years. Imagine that, imagine that, Pastor Phil, you know, Jesus stands in front of you, King of Kings, in all his glory, he goes, I've got to talk about a few churches on the earth and let's just start with yours, he's like, right, okay, so, so you can see how, what this was like, I mean, poor John, how would you feel, Ev, poor John, but Jesus says, look at this, It's all good, John, because John's gone, you're talking about my church, you know? He says, it's all good, John. They're doing some really good things right. It's all good. But they just don't love me like they used to, John. Now, this would have broken John's heart, because what was John known as? The apostle of love. He was known as the apostle of love. He called himself John... The apostle whom Jesus loved. It was John who at the table at the Last Supper, where was he? Right next to Jesus with his head on Jesus' breast. That's where he used to hang out. He used to hang out with his head on Jesus' breast. And he's talking to John. And he's saying, you know, John, you know You know the way you taught them how to love John? You know the way that you love me, John? And you taught them how to love me like that, John? Well, they're actually not doing that anymore. and it would have broken John's heart, I mean. They'd lost their first love. It's interesting in the final letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian Church in Ephesians 6, at the very end of it, because he wrote letters to the Ephesians church after he left to encourage them, that's what Paul did write letters as an apostolic leader over churches. He would write letters to encourage them. The very last letter he wrote, as if he was almost prophetically forecasting their future, he wrote, Grace be upon everyone and everyone who sets their heart to love Jesus with sincerity. He was almost saying in his last letter, Keep the main thing, the main thing, guys. Set your heart. You actually set your heart to love Jesus. Set your heart to love Jesus. This is not an automatic thing that's just going to happen. It's not a thing that can easily last 40 years. It's not a thing that can easily you know, just happen. It's not just going to happen to you. But you need to set your heart. Paul was saying, you need to set your heart and you need to reset your heart and you need to reset your heart and you need to reset your heart to love Jesus or you're not going to make it. That was, that was his exhortation to them. You know, if you set your heart to love him, that's when grace is multiplied to your life. The Ephesians church had this incredible revival because everyone in that place had set their heart to love Jesus. And then out of that, out of that hub of of love and, and empowerment and our passion for Jesus, there came this avalanche of supernatural activity. There came this avalanche of life-changing ministry, and it came out from within. It didn't come out from up, down. It came from within, because Jesus was within them. Their love relationship was inside of them, and it was growing, and it was incredible. You know, sometimes a lot of people just think, a lot of Christians just think, I'll oh, just walk around in life and you know, just do normal life and then one day I'll get struck down and I'll wake up and I'll be passionately in love with God. It doesn't happen like that. Paul said, set your heart. Set your heart. There is a grace that is given to you when you are contending in your heart to love him more. There's a, con- who knows? You've got to contend with that heart, haven't you, Ellie? I mean, every day, we've got to wake up And we've got to contend with our own heart. His mercies are new every morning. But every morning I wake up and I've got to to set my heart to love him again, to love him more. I've come out of all these weird dreams. Anybody have weird dreams? I do. I have weird dreams. And I come out of those weird dreams and I've got to come out of those weird dreams. I go, oh, but Jesus, I set my heart to love you again this morning. Your mercies are new every morning. Lord Jesus, you are with me. I set my heart to love you. Amen. There's a grace that is given to you when you're contending in your heart to love him more. It's a decision that we make over and over and over and over again. Because the decision to love him is not automatic. In fact... The decision to love him is not automatic. In fact, it's the opposite. Who knows that our love diminishes automatically? Our love doesn't grow for him automatically. Our love actually diminishes automatically. You know, someone said once, you know, we get filled with the Holy Spirit, but we leak. And we leak it out. We get filled with the love of Jesus. We find this intimate space with him. And then we walk away and and it diminishes. We go into normal life and it diminishes again. And every time that diminishes, we need to step back in and set our hearts back into that space because it doesn't happen automatically. We have to reset it. 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 Everything in this world... Is trying to stop you doing the primary thing that Jesus wants us to do, and that's to love Him. Everything in this world is opposing that, isn't it, Katie? Yeah. <clears throat> I remember in the early days of revival, you know, when when Pastor Phil and I first planted this church, and there's many here that are with us when we did that. You know, we planted, we planted in the middle of a massive revival. There was a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit on his church. And there were unusual manifestations, as Paul talked about. There was an, there was an unusual amount of people coming to the Lord. There was an unusual amount of Christians falling in love with Jesus. And the whole revival basically came down to one thing. I'm turning you back in love with me. He grabbed his whole church worldwide, all those that would want to partake of this massive revival. And he said, this revival that I'm doing right now is so that you will get back to your first love and fall in love with me. And we all fell in love with him. We all were revived in our hearts and fell in love with him. And, you know, in your heart of hearts, you think that that's just going to automatically keep happening. You know, it's just gonna, I mean, I remember cooking, you know, I'd be cooking dinner, and the love of God would just hit me, and I would just fall on the floor in my in my kitchen, I'd be weeping, I'd be under the power of God, and feel come home and dinner's half cooked, and so what's going on? Where's my wife? It's like, oh, go away, I'm with Jesus, I haven't got time to cook you dinner. It was just like the most amazing experience. We lived in that space, we lived in that place, hey. And um, and, and all of us were caught up. It was like we were caught up in something, but it didn't, it didn't drop you back down after Sunday. It's like you lived there 24 hours a day. And we were there 24 hours a day. The presence of God, we never watched TV in those days, not because we were religious, because we didn't really have time. We, we, we wanted to be with Jesus. We'd have prayer meetings in our house, and we would see the feet of Jesus turn up. We'd saw oil. We saw, we saw gold dust fall from, we saw feathers. We saw all kinds of unusual manifestations would come and people would be weeping and people would be being changed and people would run in off the streets and fall on the altar. What do I need to do to be saved? People were delivered and healed and set free. It was an incredible time. And we just thought, okay, this is how it's going to be till Jesus comes back. This is so cool, you know. But after a while, you know, the the, the revival waned. People started to go back to normal life. Churches started to become normal again. And in the midst of that, it was almost like we had to choose. We had to choose. Do we become normal? Or do we hang on to what he's put inside of us and maintain and keep setting our hearts to love him? Do we we stay in a position of revival ourselves? Because revival means to bring something back to life. You know, there's all kind of weird... Concepts we have of revival, but revival is bringing something back to life. And do we want to die again, Phil? You know, we looked at each other. Do we want to go there? Okay, I know that seasons have changed and things have changed, but do we have to change? Do we have to go with the flow of what is popular and become, you know, Mm -hmm. become normal? Or can we stay in love at this level? And you know what? It's been a challenge. We're talking like years and years and years and years of continuously setting our hearts and our whole team setting our hearts to God again. Isn't that right, Doug? How many years have you done that? Just setting your heart towards God again. Nikki, you know, setting your heart towards God again. I know what it's like, you know, because it's hard. It's hard when you don't have that you know, that added help, you know, God, we could use a little help down here, like, but what he's teaching us to do is to love him, as Julie said, testing us and drawing out what's inside of us and see if we will choose and continue to choose every day to walk with him. You know, we saw many, many in in those days, and over the years that we've been in ministry, we've seen many, many that come with fire and passion, and you know, and zeal, and and you know, and I'm going to conquer the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be radical for Jesus. I'm gonna be radical for Jesus. You know, and two years later, they're burnt out and they're gone, and you just go, you know, it's not being radical for Jesus going out and and, and you know going crazy for two years, and then being radical for Jesus is keeping your heart set on him over a decade, over two decades, over three decades, over four decades. Do you know what I'm saying? That's radical. That's radical for Jesus, and he loves that. You know, so many of them you know, did the 2 Timothy expression of church or, or life where they said, we, we have a form of godliness, but we're denying its power. Look, I know there's delays, there's betrayals, there's temptations, there's persecutions, there's sicknesses, there's, there's all kinds of trials that come at us. And it's not easy. It's no way easy. You know, it's not easy for us as pastors, it's not easy for any of us as Christians. It's not easy. Because we're continuously, we're continuously getting buffeted, buffeted, buffeted. And I've got to send my heart back, I've got to send my heart. I've got to stay in love. I've got to stay sweet. I've got to stay pure. I've got to stay forgiving. I've got to stay loving. I've got to love people. i just got to love people with Jesus' heart. I can't let my heart get bitter. I can't let this stuff get in my heart. I have to be there. And you know what? As you set your heart towards loving him like that, he'll meet you halfway. Like, it's like the prodigal son, isn't it? It's like, you know, the prodigal son just, how many times do we have to be prodigal son? Like a lot. Like a lot. You think you have one prodigal son experience in your whole Christian life? Uh Uh-uh. You know, it only takes a month of not setting your heart towards him and, oh, I've done it again. Haven't I? Haven't we? You know, I've done it again. I've just let everything else you know, get busy around my life and even my prayer life. My prayer life is just about, you know, what's my prayer life about lately? I'm praying for the nations and I'm praying for you people of the church and I'm I'm praying for the, the needs in my life and I'm praying for finances. And, and, and you know, and, and slowly this thing of my relationship with him, of spending time with him because he loves me and I love him, goes down to number 10 on the list. And it goes to number 20. Do you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, this is what we do as human beings. We just we, we, we just pull back and we just, stuff gets so big and he just gets so small. But he'll meet you halfway. Every time you do the prodigal son, you turn around and you say, I'm going home. I'm back in the big slop again. It's like I'm going home. I get this feeling in my heart like I just go, oh, I'm doing all the stuff, I'm doing everything right, just like the Ephesians church, you know, I'm, I'm doing all the stuff, and I'm sure that he's so pleased with me. But in my heart, I get this space where I go, I'm so lonely for you, Jesus. I'm lonely for you, Jesus. I, I miss you. I miss our intimacy. I miss, I miss our talks where you're just talking about me, and I'm talking about you, and And you come into that space in my life. I miss you, Jesus. And so I do the prodigal son and and I start going, I've got got to go find my father because I'd rather be a servant in my father's house than in this pig slop that I found myself in. And there he is. He's running towards me. He's running. He's running towards me. He's got his arms open wide. I've been waiting for you, you know, to have this time with you. I've been waiting for you. It's fresh grace. It's time to get fresh grace, I mean. Isaiah 5, 6 to 9 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. You know, you know there's moments where the Holy Spirit, I've given the Holy Spirit permission now, Jackie, to speak to me. Now I did that years ago about sin, about stuff that he wants to adjust to my life. Holy Spirit, I give you permission. You convict people of sin. I give you permission to convict my heart. I give permission. Now I give him permission. Let me know when I'm doing, you know, a prodigal son time. Let me know when I'm, when everything else gets bigger than Jesus inside of me, than my love for him and his love for me. Let me know when I'm becoming a, a church of Ephesus, when I'm doing all the stuff out here, but I'm forgetting the most important thing, which is to love him. And the Holy Spirit will come to me now and he'll highlight and he'll say, Jules, you need to just stop and be with him. You need to let him love you. You need to love him. Amen. It's amazing that um, what is interesting in, in the book of Revelations in this section is that to every church that he goes to, remember I said he, he highlights you know, all these characteristics of who he is, but every church that he goes to, he points out their weakness, but then he brings he brings to match that a characteristic or he matches their challenge with a part of himself to every church. It's amazing. He doesn't just go, oh, you're doing this wrong, and he gives us no way out or gives us no idea how to fix it. To this church who had lost their first love, he highlights himself as this. I am the one who holds the seven stars in my right hand and I walk among the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars that Jesus holds in his hand are the seven leaders of the church. And he's saying to the, the church in Ephesus, I'm going to hold your leaders dearly in my hand. Right. Now, when we're talking about leaders right now, you, you, know, you automatically think, oh, Pastor Phil and Julie, or you know, Julie and Andrew and Evan Jess and Rach, you, you run youth, you know, they're leaders. But if you're leading anyone... If you you have a capacity to lead anyone if you're a mom you're leading children if you're a dad you're leading children you're leading people you're leading each other amen and he says he says this he's speaking to the leadership team because he knows that a leadership team will affect the culture he's saying to this leadership team I hold you I hold you in the palm of my hand I have you. You're not alone. And one of the biggest lies the enemy can say to us is that you're alone. You're doing this on your own. Everything you're doing is useless. There's no fruit out of it. Do you know what I mean? But he's saying, I'm holding the leadership team of this, uh, this church dear. I'm holding, I'm holding them dear to my heart. I'm walking with them. You are not alone. I'm walking every step With you, I didn't send you out on a task and then say, "Well, like I'll check in on you later." No, he says, "I'm there. I'm holding you every step of the way." Amen. There are times when we feel like we're alone, but it's critical to continue renewing the sense of being loved and in loving back. And the second thing he says is that I walk in the midst of the seven lampstands. And in chapter 1, Jesus explains, Revelation 1.20, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand are the seven, and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels, or the leaders of the church, of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So what he's saying, basically, I'm holding the leaders in my hand, and I'm walking in the midst of you. I'm walking up and down the aisles. I'm right there. I'm right down in the midst of you. Right. And so we need to dial down, pay attention, take time to feel, take time to sense and be sensitive to God's narrative to what's happening in the church, not the narrative in your own head. Because your narrative said, God is not here. God is not with us. I'm alone. He's not here. No, I'm holding you. I'm walking amongst you. Amen? And Julie said this this morning, don't talk to him like he's not there. Don't talk to him like he's not there. Don't talk to him like, where are you? Why have you left me? Why am I here all alone? Why am I not seeing anything happen? No, we have to realign. Thank you that you are here. I want to sense you more. I want to see you more clearly. Open my eyes, Jesus, to see you more clearly. Amen? You know, just lastly, I want to just give you this, this quick analogy. There are two ways of perceiving God. There's the Western way of perceiving God, and there's the Eastern way of perceiving God. And we have to get out of this Western mindset. We have to change. The Bible is an Eastern written book. We have to understand the eastern way of 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 God. Here we see here this is the Western way. This is God and this is us. And we think like this God is above us, God is separate from us and God is distant. And when we worship and we're in church like this and we're worshiping him, we think he's out there somewhere and, if, and I'll just worship him and hopefully I can reach him. He's somewhere in the distance. He's separate from me. He's distant and he's above. But the Eastern way of thinking about God is this. I am in God and where I start and where he begins is a mystery. I'm right in the center of him. In fact, Paul says this, Acts 17, 28. For in him we live, we move, and we have our being. He doesn't say outside him. He says in him. Jesus said, oh, I'm praying, God. In John 17, I pray that they would be one. Just as you and I are one. I am in you, you are in me. Let them be in us. Let them be in us. So we have to get this perspective that, that, that I'm, I'm in God. Here I am. I'm in God. And I'm in love with him. And I'm in the center of his heart. I'm in the center of his being. I'm in him. And so when I walk, I'm in him. When I go to school, I'm in him. When I go to work, I'm in him. I don't put him off and get outside in my Western thinking and become separate again the minute I walk out of church, or the minute I walk out of my prayer room, I become separate from him again, but I'm living in him. I'm in him all the time. He's trying to say this to the Ephesus church, Evan. He's trying to say, I'm holding you in my hand, and I walk in the midst of you. I'm in the midst of you. I'm in the midst of you. You are in me. I am in you. You are in us. You are in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are one. Jesus is one with you. He's not separate. He's in you. Jesus, when you received Jesus, you said, Lord, come and live in my heart. What does that mean? Come and live in my heart. It means, Jesus, I want to be one with you. I want us to be, be there'd be no definition about where you start and where I begin and where I begin and where you finish, that we would just be one and wherever we go, we will be like this, this is the stuff that changes the world, this is the stuff, this is that I am in him and he is in me and we are one. If we can get this mindset, this Eastern mindset rather than this Western, you know, if I worship God hard enough, I might be able to reach him. God is watching me from a distance. No, God's not watching from a distance. You are in him. He is with you. He's around you. He's everywhere you go. He is there. He is in you. And when we say, God, I want to love you more, all you need to do is get the revelation that you're in him. I mean, I don't have to work at this. I don't have to work hard at this. I don't have if I work hard, enough, if I pray hard enough, if I, because yeah. that's what they used to do in idol worship. They'd cut themselves up and they'd work hard trying to get empowerment from the Spirit. You don't have to do that. You just have to know and believe that you are in him already. The minute you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're in God. And God is all around you. He is with you. Amen. <clears throat> i just have the worship team, thanks. You know, when we lose our first love, it's not like we wake up one day and go, you know, I think I'll lose my first love today. I think I'll lose that love. It's like it's a slow drifting. It's like... Sometimes it takes many months before we're aware, but we just, we're just not in that space where we were with him before. Our heart gets less connected to him. You get less involved with your conversation with the Lord. It's just like you're talking to the air or, you know, you, talk, you pray about stuff, but you're not really involved in a conversation between you and him about you. when we get in that space, when we get in that space where kind of it's been months and I haven't really connected with him, then it starts to affect our emotions. It starts to affect our ministry. It affects our relationships. It affects our minds. It affects our patience. It affects our grace toward other people. When we don't have that fountain flowing through us from our connection with the Lord, it affects our whole life. That's why he says this is, this is the primary thing. This is the primary assignment on your life is to grow in the first commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And it's interesting that Jesus says to the Ephesians church, look from where you have fallen. He only uses the word fallen for sin. Could he be saying in this scripture that not loving God is sin? That separates us from God again? If we look at all the commandments, we say, thou shalt not murder, not commit adultery. We know all those are sin. We know know if we do those things, they're going to separate us from God. But what about number one, which Jesus called the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And Jesus said the two commandments, all of the law is wrapped up in them. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everything is wrapped up in those two. If I can love God with everything I am, then everything around me is going to change. I'm gonna love people more, I'm gonna love my husband more, I'm gonna be able to raise my kids more, I'm gonna have peace in my house, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be able to do what God's calling me to do upon the earth. If somebody said to you right now, what is your primary calling on this earth? We'd all have we'd all be thinking about, it. oh, maybe I'm an evangelist, maybe I, you know, I gotta lay hands on the sick, maybe I'm gonna preach the gospel. What's your primary calling? Maybe I'm a missionary. You know, the right answer to that is my primary calling on this earth is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. With everything that's inside of you, your primary calling is to love Him. And all these things flow out of that love for Him. Everything that you have inside of you because you've been with Him, they turned the known world upside down, the Bible says, and they said, they are unlearned, unskilled people, but they've turned the known world upside down. And they said of them, "They." we know that they have been with Jesus. When we're with him, he transforms us into his image. When we're with him, He transforms the purpose of our life on this earth. When we're with Him, He fixes our relationships. He causes us to love better. When we're with Him, He sorts out our finances. He holds us in His hand. He walks in the midst of us. When we just choose to love Him, when we choose to set our heart to Him every minute of every day. Amen. And the final thing He says... Says, remember where you've fallen. Repent. Then he says, act. Remember, remember what it felt like to be in love with him. Think about that. Then say, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I have drifted away. I haven't been setting my heart towards you. I could love you more than what I do right now. And then he says, act. He says to do the things you did at first. In verse 7, he brings a promise to people who are victorious or overcomers in this area. And he says, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of our God. Stand to our feet right now, Father. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, Jesus, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, Jesus. Let's do those three things right now. You know, if you can, if you want to lift your hands, if you want to close your eyes just for one here, right, remember. What does it feel like the last time that you are in that space with him where you just went, there he is? And when he spoke to you, when he told you how much he loved you, when he touched your heart in a way that no one else can touch your heart, when he came close to you, when he was intimate with you, what was, remember the last time, I want you to say, Lord, sorry. I'm sorry, Lord, that I've neglected that space for you. so I've let years go by. and Then he says to act, to do the things that you did at first. Do the things that you did at first. So we're choosing now, Lord, we're choosing to set our hearts to love you as our primary purpose on this earth. We honour the first commandment we honour the first and the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And we ask that you would open up our eyes to see you, open up our ears to hear you, open up our hearts to experience you. And Jesus, give us the ability to love you. Holy Spirit, remind us of everything Jesus has said to us. And bring us into that deep place we Jesus name, just while every eye is closed, if you're here and you, you may have known God once, but you're far away from him right now and you just wanna, I'm not gonna call you out, we're just gonna say a prayer right where you are. If you feel like I need to recommit my life to Jesus today. Maybe you've never known him and you say, well, I, I wanna get in the middle. I don't wanna be on the outside of God. I wanna be in the middle where God is. I, I wanna be in the center of God. Maybe that's you with every eye closed right now. Just just lift your hand up, put it down. I'm going to say a prayer with you. No one's looking around. I'm not going to call you. If you want to recommit your life or you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, just hand up and down. We Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for a special anointing in this service, a special anointing on every soul. We're going to sing this song again. We're going to open up the altar for anybody who wants to come and receive some prayer, maybe some fresh anointing on their lives. We'll have our team here to pray for you. But Let's just sing this one more time. Jesus, only you. you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c 3 telgratorgau We hope to see you at church soon.